Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Today, I'm broadcasting from magnificent Williams Lake in Canada. It is bloody cold. It's minus 10, but I'm sitting here in front of a roaring fire, glass of red wine, looking at a beautiful frozen lake. It is absolutely beautiful. Now, if you're in Asia or Australasia, I want to wish you a very happy Christmas because it's already Christmas Day. And if you're over on this side of the world, happy Christmas Eve. No matter where you are in the world anyway, I hope you're having a great holiday with your loved ones, enjoying great company, great food and and festivities. I've had a great few days. I'm um, I'm in Canada with, with my son who... Hunter is 22. I talk about him often. He's in his final year of business at George Washington University. We don't catch up as often as we'd like, so it's a real joy for me. It's been snowing a lot, and looking across the lake, it doesn't get much better than this. However, while while we're enjoying all the good things, I just want to... um, for everybody, just to give a thought about the 40 million Americans that are going to bed hungry tonight and all the kids that don't have presents, and I know that it's already pretty late, but if you can do anything to help get people food or presents for the kids or anything that you can do, if you get two gifts, don't, um, don't take one back to the shops. Give one to someone who doesn't have any. I understand it's Christmas Eve, but it's never too late to help people who are less privileged, uh, brought me back a few years when my son and I worked at a homeless shelter. And uh, it really is a humbling experience. And it does show you the reality of what Christmas really should be about. Now, over the last two and a half years on this show, we've interviewed about 150, 160 of the world's top movers and shakers and interviewed people from something like 15 countries. And we're looking forward to bringing you another 70 or so interviews in 2014. And next week, which is New Year's Eve, we will be uh, broadcasting. So I've reached out to a number of the great guests we've had in 2013, and I've asked them to send me their New Year's resolutions. And I look forward to bringing them to you next week. I'm also really confident that uh, 2014 is going to be a huge year, not only for the U.S. economy, but for the global economy. Uh, The U.S. and China have both turned the corner, and the fundamentals are extremely strong. Last quarter in the U.S., we had uh, growth of about 4%, which is fantastic. It's been quite a while since we've grown that quickly. Over 200,000 people uh, are getting jobs every month. And I think that'll increase steadily over the first quarter. So it's a perfect time for all entrepreneurs to really go out, make your business a huge success. During the last week, I had a number of emails from entrepreneurs who are not very happy about 
my comments about being tired of entrepreneurs who contact me complaining about how tough it is to break through with their project into the marketplace. Uh, you know, I've been an entrepreneur all my life and um, I've had many successes and many failures. So I have considerable experience in being an entrepreneur and uh, it's about persistence, it's about hard work, it's about never giving up. And too many people that, you know, write to me and complain seem to think that they have some sort of right to be able to, you know, that somebody should automatically pick up their project and make them a success. It doesn't work like that. You've got to earn it. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm at Williams Lake, British Columbia, population 11,000, temperature minus 10, bloody freezing. And everywhere I go, I look for a local entrepreneur and I found Becky Bravi at a little get get together the other night. She's a 40-something-ish city girl who moved to Williams Lake about 12 years ago. She's a research ecologist, so the bird's pretty smart. But I discovered she's got another passion. She's got a fantastic energy drink, which I've got right in front of me here, called Crazy Horse, which she's bootstrapped so far. But she's looking for investment. Now, Becky, in a day job, has worked with the Alexis Creek First Nation communities on timber projects and other things, and she found out about the properties of traditional wild berries from the Chilcotin people, and uh, she worked with them to create Crazy Horse Energy Drink, which is unique. It's, you know, it's got a bit red bullish about it, but it's, it's different, and it, it's a really good drink. The label's fabulous. It's a vivid red colour and uh, I'm not quite sure how you draw it. I guess it's a wild stallion type of graphic, the head. It's, um, it's a powerful label that I think will look fantastic on the shelves and it's got the tagline, go wild, go west, which I think appeals to you know everybody in the country. It also appeals to city slickers who um, would love to get out there and do a bit of the... Um, horseback riding and all that sort of blazing saddle stuff. Um, Becky's planning to produce Crazy Horse locally and uh, plans to target the rodeo and mountain bike markets because both of those sports, believe it or not, are huge in this area. Um, It's hard to (laughs) realise that today when everything's white and three feet of snow and freezing cold, but in the summer apparently it's absolutely beautiful. And they have a world-famous stampede here in Williams Lake, second only to Calgary. And it's also a mecca for mountain bike riding. It sounds to me like hard work, but a lot of people love it. So Crazy Horse has got a real rebel, wild west feel and taste about it. And uh, so I was pleased to meet Becky. I love finding entrepreneurs no matter where they are and I hope it goes well. Go well. <laughs> Go well. Go wild. Go west. Go Becky. So, local entrepreneur. I'm actually um, staying at the house of a, an entrepreneur in Williams Lake, a lady who also has got a great day gig, uh, Penny Hutchinson, but she's got a, um, a sideline which is sort of – 
eclectic collectibles. I'm not sure how you'd describe it. A whole bunch of really unusual stuff that you don't usually find. The place is called Worth Every Penny. So um, that's that's also worth, worth a look. So anybody that's around Williams Lake that's listening, or anybody indeed anywhere, um, you can catch Penny, and I'll talk about her on the show next week. And in case you didn't catch the show last week, I was talking about Leo Grand, who's living on the streets of New York in absolutely freezing temperatures, had the choice of $100 in cash or coding lessons from a passerby, took the coding lessons, and his new app for carpooling was released last week. Over the past few months, we've been highlighting um, our Entrepreneur of the Week, which includes entrepreneurs as young as 10 who have had a fantastic idea and have made it successful. So all those people who send me emails um, saying I'm harsh on entrepreneurs, you know, don't tell me how wonderfully clever you are and then tell me that it's the next billion-dollar idea and then bitch to me about how hard it is to get anybody to listen to you. If your idea was any bloody good and you knocked on enough doors, somebody would pick it up. So there's 10-year-olds launching great products that are making a lot of money. There's an unemployed homeless man in New York learning to code and releasing an app. We live in a wonderful capitalist society where if an idea has merit and you knock on enough doors, somebody will pick it up. So don't whinge to me about how tough the world is. I'm not fucking well interested. Don't care. The world doesn't know you are living. Every successful entrepreneur that I know has faced a raft of problems. It's not easy to be successful. Walt Disney went to over 200 banks before one decided to finance Disneyland. Michael Blake, who you might remember wrote Dances with Wolves, was rejected constantly for 26 years before a publisher said, yes, I'll release it. So write to me and bitch about how tough it is after you've been rejected 200 times or if you've been knocking on doors diligently for 26 years, I'll listen to you. If not, don't care. Um, Let me give you an example of another entrepreneur that we at Bob Pritchard Radio Show salute because of the dedication and commitment which enabled him to overcome serious hardships and he still became successful. It also demonstrates that being an entrepreneur can take many forms. You don't have to be in the technology space, but that's what we've we've come to think about being an entrepreneur as these days. Zach French wanted to open his own Cedar Post business in Humble, Texas, after he fell in love with a porch swing in Wyoming when he was on holidays from school. So this guy's at school. He decided he could improve on the designs and he could sell them to customers back in Humble, in Texas. But he couldn't find quality cedar around his area. He took over six months while fitting in with his studies to find a quality cedar supplier, and then he began to haul timber all the way to Humble. What a dreadful name for a town. Anyway, while he thought that he would specialise in building swings, he started getting more requests for just cedar posts. So he modified his business plan to form his 
discount cedar post business while he was still at school. A year after starting his business, still at school, he got really sick and experienced a burning sensation throughout his whole body that was consistent 24 hours a day. He underwent blood tests, visited an endocrinologist, and nobody could find out what the hell was wrong with him. Then he started to have fainting spells, and it became obvious that he was seriously ill. He was taken to hospital where he was diagnosed with the rarest form of mastocytosis, which affects less than 100 people on the whole planet. Since it's so rare, there's no medication. This is really a dreadful disease, and it constantly feels like you've been set on fire. It's serious, it's debilitating, and it causes premature death. That's pretty serious. So Zach was only a month or so away from his organs shutting down, when he was accepted into an experimental program. After considerable treatment, he now leads a relatively, relatively normal life. Before he got onto the trial drug, he was bedridden for six months. He couldn't do anything because he was too sick. But he um, finished high school by taking online courses when he was too ill to leave bed and he's now attending college majoring in account and has a 3.76 GPA, still runs his Cedar Post business, which is doing better than he ever dreamed possible. Now he sells from his seed yard as well as by the truckload and is shipped to ranches as far away from Texas as South Dakota. Now that his health is stabilised, he focuses on both the business and on his schooling. Zach says it's always been his passion to have his own business, and the business is continuing to grow strongly. So let's see. He has an idea while he's at school. He sets up a business while he's at school, and then he gets seriously ill to the point where he nearly dies. He undergoes experimental treatment while still trying to run his business. At the same time, while he's bedridden, he finishes high school online. He continues to run his business every minute that he's got available and then he goes to college where he he is excelling in accounting and the business is successful. Talk about throwing obstacles in your way, but nothing, absolutely nothing was going to throw Zach off track. He had his goal and no matter what happened to him, he was going to achieve it. I absolutely love people like Zach. So if you're an able-bodied person and you're thinking about writing or phoning me to complain about how bloody hard it is to be successful, save your breath. This guy ain't the least bit interested. Wow, here it is, New Year's Eve. I'm supposed to be imparting good cheer and making you all feel good. (laughs) not criticising, whinging, whining entrepreneurs. Sorry about that. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, the whole reason we are here is to assist entrepreneurs to become more successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, any aspect, doesn't matter what it is, 
whether it's financial, whether it's marketing, whether it's setting up, doing your business plan, whether it's creating um, a um, investor uh, pitch. We do it all in our consulting business. So feel free, drop me a note, send a, an email to bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or we'll get back to you directly. But it, irrespective of what your issue is, we can definitely help you do it. We're the number one radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. There ain't nothing else like it. We're a little bit different, a little bit irreverent. It's the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show. We just tell it straight the way it is. So no matter where you are on the planet, we really appreciate you listening to us. Our guest after the break is Stephen Scher. He's got a diverse background that ranges from having been a manager in a variety of businesses, a management consultant, a corporate trainer for managers. He's a business coach, a keynote speaker, and an entrepreneur. Just a few years ago, Steve was the founder of a company that was named the 38th fastest growing company in America by Inc. Magazine. He's a really good bloke. We... um, We've spoken together quite frequently, and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's just been a really strong entrepreneur, and he knows what it takes. He's written a book called Fix Them or Fire Them, Managing and Evaluating and Terminating Underperforming Employees. He takes an unapologetic view of firing people who don't perform, and I agree with him, and you know, we have a bit of a discussion about this, but as you've heard me say on the show before, you can't change people. The only way to change people is to change the bloody people. If you think, it's a bit like wives are going thinking they can change their husbands and mould them into what they want them to be. Ain't going to happen. If he was a sleazebag before you met him, he's going to be a sleazebag ongoing. <laughs> That's the way it is. So, I think Stephen has very practical advice about creating clear communication and an unambiguous performance plan to improve an employee's performance. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back with Stephen immediately after this short break. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. 
Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is a segment of the show where we talk to people who are doing something in business that can help the majority of us be more successful. This segment's not just about helping our guests to promote their business. We really hope we do, of course, but we really try to ask questions that will provide answers that are of benefit to all of us. We try to find out what it is that makes our guests tick, what has made them successful, and what we can take away from their experience that will make our journey in business a little bit more smooth. This program is all about saluting and assisting entrepreneurs, no matter what your endeavour, so that if we emulate these success stories, maybe we can encourage others to get off their ass and go out and have a go. Stephen Chair has a diverse background that, in, that ranges from having been a manager in a variety of businesses. He's a management consultant. He's a corporate trainer for managers. He's a business coach keynote speaker and an entrepreneur and he's no slouch at being an entrepreneur just a few years ago steve was the founder of a company named the 38th fastest growing company in america by inc magazine and that's a claim to fame that not too many of us have but steven's written a book called fix them or fire them managing and evaluating and terminating underperforming employees this really intrigued me when I read that Stephen takes an unapologetic view of firing underperforming employees. And what I find really interesting that Stephen has practical advice about creating clear communication and an unambiguous performance plan to improve an employee's performance. Now, the reason this is important is that as we progress, we need two things to develop our businesses. We need to increasingly use more sophisticated technology that enables us to perform better, but we also need for all our employees to be continually more productive, and that's harder. Now, people who listen to this show regularly have heard my view that the only way to change people is to change the people. Maybe Stephen and I are talking at cross-purposes, and he's talking about people that are on the right track, but it should be an interesting discussion anyway. Um, let's find out. Stephen, how are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thanks, Bob. Glad to be here. Um, as I just mentioned, I don't believe you can change people, either in employment or, for that matter, in a marriage. I know so many people that go into these things thinking, well, you know, a little bit of tweaking and this person will be exactly what I need. And uh, I think that 99 times out of 100, that doesn't work. So... When you're talking about changing people and improving their performance, what do you mean? Well, I think that um, in a very large percentage of, of cases, it is difficult or impossible to change people. And, uh, I, and I completely agree with you on that. What I have found, though, however, 
is that changing people is really an unproductive activity. Absolutely. You have to, you fire somebody and then you got to go hire somebody. And by the way, when you're hiring somebody, most of that responsibility fire, uh, of hiring somebody falls upon the hiring manager. Yeah. Somebody who really doesn't have a whole lot of time to begin with. And then you finally bring somebody on board and you bring that person on board until they're productive. It might be several months. And then you might not have anyone, you might fail at that as well. This person may not be, um, you know, any better. That's going to happen a certain percentage of the time. This whole elapsed time between firing and getting somebody productive in that role, you know, could be a six-month or a year-long process. So that's very, very costly for an organization. So I'm reluctant to throw in the towel too soon um, because I believe that there are many instances, certainly some I can point to, of people who've turned it around as far as their performance goes. And I will agree with you that maybe a majority of cases where people are unable to turn that around, and maybe that's a management challenge. Yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't the name of your book be um, How to Employ Better HR People? <laughs> <laughs> you know something? This is not an HR person's responsibility. That's what I really believe as well, is I, I hate, you know, HR people are sort of the butt of many jokes in a lot of organizations. They serve a very important role. But ultimately, managing you know an employee comes down to that person's direct supervisor. But isn't it the and HR people that hire them in the first place? In most cases. I've never been in an organization where the hiring final decision is not made is made by an HR person. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and that's a you know that's a sort of a different aspect of the problem is really how to hire these people. Uh, is you know it's a whole other direction. Sure. My book really sort of takes it from I've got this person and they're not and they're not. Uh, performing right. up to standard. So you're talking about simply a productivity issue or you're talking about changing somebody's, um, the way they communicate with um, fellow staff members, the way they might communicate with, if they're in the sales role, the way they might communicate with customers. I mean, some people have this, you know, I have all the answers, I know how to handle this sort of an attitude. I do you believe you can change those people? I can't say in every single case, sure. but I mean, I think that it is in our best interest as managers to try to get the most productivity out of our people. And if you know our people are underperforming, if they're not working up to standard, what our expectations are, you know, it's up to us really to try to move those people forward. Whether it's a productivity in a you know in a sort of a you know, a tailor time and you know material kind of basis, and sort of a factory operational type of role, sure. or in softer skills that some people need to develop. But um, firing people is, you know, sort of the last stop, and it's a very important stop. You know, I think um, you know, Bob. I've had a lot of experience in in executive coaching, as I know you have as well. Mm. And let me give you an example from my experience. It's happened many times. I'm sure it's happened to you as well. You meet with an executive and we're talking about a problem. And one of the solutions to the problem or to advance the situation is we need to replace this person. And uh, the executive we're working with says, yep, you're right. I'm going to fire this person. Terrific. All right. You come back two weeks later. Is that person still there or did they actually fire the person, Bob? It's still there. Correct. Okay. Um, 
So, That's me. I'm guilty of that, I reckon. <laughs> precisely. I can look at my, my, my history. I can think of individuals, a number of individuals, where I was banging my head against the wall trying to get these people to perform better. Mm. And I procrastinated on, fire, procrastinated on firing them again and again. And it ultimately was detrimental to my organization. But I think what has to happen is an executive needs to say is, we have a 90-day program to get this person up to par or out the door. Okay. And there's no turning back from that. And that's why I think of as really a performance plan that is unambiguous, okay, yeah. that is very, very clear. And the executives have to have a willingness to engage and begin this, this journey that's going to have only two outcomes, productivity or replacement. Yeah. So more important than firing people today, as I mentioned a bit earlier, it's, it's critical for any business to continually improve productivity. And in order to do that, you need to constantly drive your staff and your ma particularly management to achieve better results. Now, you talk about five underutilized methods for giving feedback to underperforming employees. Well, it, it could be collectively, right? It could be let's lift our whole game, that employees can't rationalise away and that will bring about change. So what are the most important of these five methods? The first one, is the first one so that you won't get sued? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a very important one. It is. Uh, I mean, most, most people say, geez, if I fire this person, you know, can this come back and bite me in the ass? Listen, this is certainly a problem in, in the U.S. and elsewhere around the world. You know, Absolutely. In, you know, other countries where people are on annual employment contracts, it's a, it's a much more complicated situation. Yeah. But um, we need an HR policy that's reviewed by competent legal counsel yeah. okay, to prevent problems from occurring. Yeah, I agree. We also need a process that is applied uniformly. This is a very, very important part of it, is... We need a formal appraisal process, even in a small organization. Right. We need a formal appraisal process, and we need to follow the guidelines of the cycle of how often people are appraised. This is very important as a defense when you know you will inevitably get sued. You will inevitably get sued as an entrepreneur. Just, so, you know, just interrupting just for a second, who sure. should who should do these appraisals? I mean, it, let's say it's a small company, but let's say it's got twenty staff or fifty staff or something. Who should do the appraisals? Is it your immediate superior? Is it the guy at the top? Who is it that should do these appraisals? Well, the immediate superior is usually the person who has the most experience with the employee's sure. performance. But I think that uh, all appraisals should be reviewed by the next level up, regardless of the size of the organization. Obviously, yeah. if it's a one-guy show, uh, one-gal you know, show, an entrepreneur with five staff members working for him, that, that's not you know, appropriate. But if you have 20, 50, 100 employees, um, it should flow you know, to the next level up to make sure everybody's on the same page. And if nothing else, it's really just a communication. Okay. I, always, uh, I always talk about how you know, there are a number of different moves that employees will in, in employ when they see themselves about to get fired. And one of them is going to be that they're going to leapfrog the supervisor and they try to go higher in the organization. Sure. The higher level of the organization have to be on board with what's going on and what the decisions made and support those decisions. Okay. What, what about what happens in a case where um, someone you've got somebody in middle management who is sure. not 
100% up with the times and a subordinate uh, comes up with a um, a plan or an idea that will change the way for the better the way business is done um, but the person above him who is responsible for his performance doesn't want to change so wh- where does that person go I mean how do you Next, next review, he's going to get a lousy review, right? Even though he might be one hundred percent right. Well, just because he has an idea that the supervisor, supervisor, manager, whatever, uh, doesn't like, that doesn't mean he's going to get a negative review, right? And your 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 review should be based upon you know what's in your performance plan. Yeah. You know what what are the specifically articulated you know goals and objectives that your management has put on you, you know. Um, I, I always joke with my clients is that everyone has the same performance plan. Okay, the performance plan with the manager is just the aggregate of their employ of of the employees in his organization or yep. her organization, yeah. and so forth and so on up the line. I mean, if there's a misalignment from the CEO down on what's in their performance plan, then you know we have an organizational leadership problem. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, what are the the, just quickly, the five the five elements that you the five methods that you mention. What what are those five? The five of those. Now you put me on the spot. I'll never remember them. Okay, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I've got the same problem. All right. Uh, I think I think it's very important. Um, I think it's very very important to understand that it is highly unlikely that an employee goes home and when their spouse says. Uh, how are things going at work? Uh, they say poorly. I got a terrible review. Right. People people hide in this bubble of rationalization. Sure. Okay, and they may rationalize it all sorts of different ways. My boss doesn't see the job that I'm doing. Sure. Uh, I'm doing things really important for the organization that are not part of my review, yeah. and my boss doesn't recognize that. Right. Okay, uh, I'm being discriminated against. I'm not saying for a moment that discrimination doesn't exist, but certainly people fabricate that discrimination exists when it doesn't exist. Sure. Uh, so people have to protect, the, you know, protect themselves from this wall of rationalization. And, and you know, this is how you get up in the morning. Okay, yeah. how would you go to work knowing that you're considered to be the lowest performing employee? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I often tell this story of. Um, in high school, and uh, what a surprise! Uh, the cutest girl in the class, or something like that. We had all taken the, you know, the PSAT exam. Yep. We re- received the results uh, in uh, in English class, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And the cutest girl in the class is sitting next to me, and she says to me, "You know, what does the score mean?" Okay, <laughs> and it, it indicated that she was in the you know the bottom tenth percentile or something like that. Right. And I'm like, uh, well, it means that uh, 90% of the people taking this exam have done better than you. <laughs> and she was, she was stunned by it. Yeah. She was absolutely stunned by it. She couldn't believe it. Yeah. What did she say? She said, I thought I was average. It's, yeah. this, it's this pathology that people have of the people in the bottom half of your organization think they're average. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That's how they get through the day. Yeah. They think they're average. Yep. Now, I... Okay, go ahead. 
I um, when I give speeches, presentations to companies, I say to companies, are you surrounded by people who are enthusiastic, can't wait to get to the office in the morning, they're there before you are, they're always coming up with ideas that are um, about how you can improve the business and they're always proactive and they're always creative and showing initiative and if you're not surrounded by people like that, fire them. I say that. I say that. I've, I've said that at fifteen hundred presentations. So, what's your? You would disagree with that um, philosophy, right? Um, I would suggest to you that if you have a large organization and people are not coming up to you with ideas, maybe you should look at the leadership. Yeah. Um, okay. And just replacing people is going to, you know, take another potential group of potentially very productive people into a less than a great environment for them to foster their productivity, to foster their ideas and creativity. Yeah. Um, you have to inspire people to be enthusiastic and creative. And you also have to be egoless, Bob. You know what I'm saying? It's how many times in our, our lives, you know, uh, somebody throws an idea out and the, the, the senior person or something like that rejects it because they're threatened by it, yeah. or they didn't invent it, or they take responsibility for it, they take ownership of it, it's not theirs. Sure. You about this kind of thing happens all the time. Yep. You know, Absolutely. we need to create an environment in our organizations that are without, you know, without this kind of ego. Yeah, well, people that are in leadership positions usually are there because they have a bigger ego than people around them. It doesn't matter who it is. I mean, you know, you can talk about... Um, I was looking at the thing about Mandela this, this morning and they said, you know, here's this guy who comes across as sort of this humble, very wise old owl and yet had a major ego. So I think that's natural, isn't it? To have a, isn't that a natural part of being who we are? Um, for I most people. For, for, for people who, you know, do get on and succeed. Sure. I think you need a good ego in order to take you know, the rejection that's necessary to, you know, keep pushing on. Yeah. Okay, whether you're Nelson Mandela, quite frankly, uh, or, uh, you know, a you're corporate right. leader who's fighting his way up the organizational yeah. ladder. You know, but there are a few exceptions to that. I mean, there are, the, you know, Trevi Mandela is Mahatma Gandhi. Um, I, mean, I can't say that he's without, <laughs> without, without a big ego, too. Yeah. But at least that's the, the, how he's presented. Sure. Uh, but in order to get it to, to climb up through the organization, in order that's to one face in seven, all the rejection, I'd, I'd also point necessary. out that's one in seven billion. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> the exception to prove the rule. I love that expression. Mm, that's right. <laughs> um, you talk about having a, a simple six-step process to create effective performance improvement plans to employ to improve all employee behaviour. Um, now that's critical to all business. So what are a couple of that? steps in that six-step process. You don't, you don't remember all of them. Just a couple of, the, of those <laughs> steps that most business people would find um, of, of, of use. Um, unambiguous communication of the situation. If you're yep. going to give somebody 90 days to improve their performance, they have to know clearly every day that there are, they're on thin ice. And if you're going to fire this person and you want to fire the, the, an easy experience in firing somebody, if they're clear that their performance 
is not up to par and what they need to do to get their performance up to par, firing somebody's easy. Okay? The conversation is we had clear, unambiguous discussion over the last 90 days about this, achieving these goals and objectives, and they haven't been met. Right. So, okay, <laughs> a lot easier. How do you sit down with somebody and say, listen, you, you've got to smarten your act, without them immediately going back to their desk and getting online and looking up classifieds for another job? Um, you have to be supportive. You have to, you have to be supportive both in words and actions. You have to say, listen, I, this is the situation. Okay, your performance is not up to par. I'm here to help you. Right. I'll make the investment to get your do what's necessary to coach you, mentor you, or whatever is it, whatever it is to get you up to the next level. Right. Okay. But this isn't going away, and I'm not going to forget it. And in 90 days, one of two things is going to happen. I call it a binary performance plan. One of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be at this productivity level or you're going to be terminated. And it will not be a surprise where you are when we reach that point. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I find the... Um, I find the book that... This book is a lot more... When you see the title, Fix Them or Fire Them, essentially, you... Um, there's a, there's a hell of a lot more benefit in this book than that. I mean, it really is a blueprint for how to get your people to perform better um, all around, whether they're under threat of being fired or not. So I, I actually think the book is um, a great assistance to um, to any employ, employer, whether or not you've just, just to, if you want to inspire your people to produce better results. Uh, I'm glad that you think so. I believe so as well. The, the genesis of the book was um, I've, I've coached a number of executives on how to have the, shall we say, the termination discussion effectively. Right. Yeah. So um, I was asked by a client to sort of to teach a class to managers, sort of an advanced management class on how to do that. And I took the, from there, I started to write it up into what might be a white paper, but then it sort of had a life of its own. And my management philosophies sort of, you know, were written around it. But the core of the book, the original core of the book, was on really a script that I've developed, which makes the firing process very, very quick and painless. Yeah. Um, and if I may, um, what I was think about think about it when I uh, I was a management consultant and. <laughs> <laughs> had to fire a lot of people on behalf of my clients. Right. I realized that ma- that the firing discussion goes in one of two directions. It is either what I call the timeline approach. The timeline approach is we hired you five years ago. We had all this optimism, and you know, then this happened, and that happened, and the job changed, and your performance changed, and this blah, blah blah, and the future looks like this, and you're no longer a fit goodbye. Um, right. That is not the method that I advocate, but it is the default method that people use. And I don't advocate it because um, the employee has a million opportunities to break your stride and 
have corrections to the history of the events and start talking about special instances that occurred. Yes, I failed in this project. Yeah, Bob, you know, it's horrible, but IT didn't give me the support that I need. And then we had this technology problem and that didn't occur. We lost this big customer and had nothing to do with me. And you're constantly being, you're fighting your way to get back to the path. Well, I think one okay. of the... Re- one of the reasons, though, that employers do that, I mean, you know, I don't mind, I can get up in front of 10,000 people and give a presentation, doesn't worry me one scrap. If I have to fire somebody, I hate it. It is dreadful. I procrastinate. I, I just want to get it over with as fast as possible. So that's probably why people race through that process. I mean, hello, this didn't work, you're out of here. <laughs> it's easier. So how do you minimize the the stress and the trauma that you go through as a manager when you've got to fire somebody because that is traumatic. It's to me, it's the worst it's, thing it's in the world. It's very traumatic. It is. It's very traumatic. You're you're making somebody miserable. You're, you're creating yeah, you. some hardship in somebody's life. <laughs> I'm making yeah, me miserable. That's who I'm making miserable. Right. You're making somebody miserable. Yeah. You know what you just said is you know get out of here. What people don't do that. Okay, that's not bad as an approach. But really the question is, how do you reduce the trauma yeah. on the firing manager? And it's really, it's, it's really a big issue because if you reduce the trauma, you re- reduce the procrastination. Right. Right? That's the key. And if we reduce the procrastination, think of the productivity savings we could have in an organization. Sure. Sure. I agree. I mean, once the decision has been made to fire them, if we can just get them fired, you know, we'll save, you know, uh, in a big organization, we'll save millions. Yeah. Um, Okay. The first step is, is, is about preparation and, and that whole idea of clarity. Right. If the employee really knows that they're on thin ice and here are the goals that they must achieve and they're not achieving them, then a lot of the stress goes away. In fact, it could be kind of relieving to the employee, you know, yeah. because yeah. the thing is hanging over them. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, I, okay, we're running out of time. Just last oh. question. Um, what's the one most important piece of advice that you could give to managers? Uh, managers need to work on their communication skills. Now, I know this is something that you talk about a lot, Bob. You talk about NLP, for example. I'm a big, yep. you know, I'm a big fan of that as well. Uh, emotional intelligence is a whole other model. Sure, absolutely. We've, we have got to be, as managers, we have got to be very effective communicators for so many reasons. Okay, it's about getting our productivity out of our people is one thing. Communicating to the marketplace is certainly another. To be a really good leader in organizations, you have to have really great communication skills. It's a skill. It really needs to be learned, practiced, and focused on. And, you know, that's one piece of advice I can give to managers. Um, and, And just as one aside, it's really not something which is well taught in business schools. I agree entirely, and it's absolutely critical. Stephen, thank absolutely. you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I've really thank you. enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Stephen or how to, how to go about firing somebody or perhaps even getting rid of a wife you don't want, go to fixthemorfiretheem.com. <laughs> That's fixthemorfiretheem.com. This is Bob Pritchard. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back with you in just a moment.
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, No Bullshit Business Show. Coming to you live this Christmas Eve from Williams Lake in Canada. I'm sitting here looking across this huge white expanse of frozen lake in front of a roaring fire. It's gorgeous. It's really good. I just went to the bathroom (laughs) and I found a sign, a quote by Oscar Wilde, which I love. Anybody who lives within their means suffers from a serious lack of imagination. How true is that? It's a bit like the other one I love. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up far too much room. Go away. I love that too. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you've got to take risks. And, you know, it is risky. And sometimes it pays off and a lot of times it doesn't. And so that's why most entrepreneurs have failed three or four or five or six times before they're successful. Most businessmen who are really successful have failed previously. You know, it's a, it, it's a, it's hard to have the right pro- product, right place, right time. It's not easy. But um, persistence is so critically important. Now, each week, we try to bring you emails from listeners around the world. And uh, my first email today comes from Lincoln Richardson. Lincoln, love that name. Great name. Richardson of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Lincoln writes, Dear Bob, I really enjoy your show. We're about to begin a new training program for our sales reps. And I wanted to get your advice on what you believe are the most important elements for salespeople today. Well, Lincoln, we've come a long way since 30 years ago or so when sales techniques were about getting a foot in the door and talking as hard as as fast as you can until your customer just relented. Those days are gone. Today, The focus today is not really on selling but on providing your customer with as much helpful information as possible. It's about solving. Sales is really just solving the customer's problems. And it's not about simply extolling the virtues of your product. It's about understanding exactly what it is that your customer needs and having a sincere commitment to help them in whichever way you can. Instead of 
you know, seeing them as potential clients, you've got to see them as somebody that you're helping and uh, you want to get them to see your business as a trusted, indispensable resource. So the first step, you've got to discover what it is your customers' issues are and then create customer-specific content that addresses the specific needs they have. Um, when people are ready to buy, they buy from a business that they know and that they trust. Secondly, you need to be consistent and persistent. You need to have empathy. You need to really understand them. So give them useful information on an ongoing basis. And as their needs change, along with technology and trends, your solutions need to change. And as your reputation as a beneficial resource increases, so will your sales. So it's all about not selling your customer, but assisting them to resolve their issues. Lincoln, tomorrow we'll send you out a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is my latest book, and I'm sure that it'll be a big help with your business. My second email today comes from Jennifer Nugent, funnily enough, of Toronto in Canada, which is a fair way away, but a lot closer than I normally am. Jennifer writes, Dear Bob, thanks very much for a great program. I really enjoy it. My husband and I have a small business that we are bootstrapping and we're just beginning to bring it to revenue, but it is certainly not enough to pay ourselves wages yet. To date, we've used all our savings to get where we are and we are still both working full time. This makes it very limiting as we need the time to devote to the company, but we simply cannot afford to leave our day jobs as we need that income to continue to develop the business. So far, we've spent nearly $200,000 on trials, manufacturing, packaging, samples, legals, and everything else that goes into it, and we're at a point where we need to think about whether we continue to do what we're doing and possibly take forever to get the business built into something substantial or whether we should get some funding now and grow the business much more quickly. Well, it would take, oh, she goes, sorry, she goes on, it would take some financial pressure off my husband and I because it does create a lot of stress after a long day at the office and then working in our business at night. What are your thoughts? Jennifer, it's a really tricky question. I've been in that position before and I think most entrepreneurs have been in that position where you sit there and you question what you're doing and, you you know, it's, it's, it's bloody hard. And when you're working a full-time gig, that is really hard. And whatever money you earn, you're putting out in this other business with no surety that it's going to be successful. Wow, it's tough. Starting a business from scratch, even if you're not working another job and even if you do have some money in the bank, is pretty stressful. And it does cause issues in relationships. I mean, relationships are hard without all that extra stress. So when you're working and constantly robbing your day job money to keep the business going, and you're probably going out without holidays and you're going out with a lot of luxuries that make life a little bit easier, um, it's tough. And you're probably having to use some of the time at your day job to work on your own business, and that gets mega successful because you think you're robbing your employer. So 
But it's no use killing yourself to build a big business only to find that your relationship is broken up, you're fired from your job, <laughs> and you're probably left with nothing anyway. So um, on the other hand, I guess uh, early in the business cycle when you're not profitable, you're not paying yourself, and your business is living week to week, um, it's an awful time to try to raise funding as you've got very little to negotiate with. You know, most investors want to know that um, there's some revenue coming in, even if you're not profitable, you've got good revenue coming in, and then at least they can see the, um, the potential. And the, the problem with raising funds early, at early stage is also you've got to give away far too much equity uh, for the investment that you receive and the hard work that you've put in. It's a bit like getting a car going. You know, if, you, if you, your car stalls and you're trying to push it, all the effort goes into getting the thing rolling and then the investor comes in when the car's rolling and, and then says, well, I'll give you money, um, but I want 50% of your business. Well, you've already done the hard work and you get yourself into a bind where you don't have any choice because you, you need the money. Uh, so I wouldn't do that. I would try to get an investment from friends and family, and I know you've probably bled them all dry already, but you want to get money from people who believe in you and want to support you. You might get a lot less money, but you'll give away a fraction of the equity and you'll not have an investor phoning you every 35 seconds wanting to know how well the business is going. Um, don't get me wrong. you know Not all investors are like that, but... Um, a hell of a lot of them are, and it's very difficult to tell at the start. Investors always sound lovely when you first do the relationship, reach the deal, but they can get very sticky when they have to wait around for their money. So I'd continue to bootstrap it until you've got some reasonable profit. Then if you don't make a reasonable profit, I'd think twice about whether you should continue in the business because sometimes you get to a point where it simply ain't worth it. Jennifer, sorry to sound so gloomy, but uh, tomorrow we'll send you a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, and I hope that's of a help to you. So if you're a regular listener and you're benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. We'll have another one out in January. Send in your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Google+. And don't forget to be my contact on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard. I hope you have a fantastic, phenomenal, wonderful Christmas. That you're healthy. Don't forget the homeless and the people who don't have presents this Christmas. And I look forward to your company next week. New Year's Eve, when I'll be back in Los Angeles. I hope you have a fantastic and extremely successful week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.